This is the story of the Dark Crystal. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the chimes ring like this. Let's begin now. In 1982, one of the most remarkable films ever was released. Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal. And it was remarkable because there were no humans to be seen for the duration of the movie. The entire cast were puppets. They did want to tell a fantasy story that was a little bit dark and a little bit scary, but for children with puppets, and make this his feature film debut. That's Cassin Gaines, author of The Dark Crystal, The Ultimate Visual History. Unfortunately, it took a little bit of time for him to convince anyone else that this was going to be a good idea. So Offensen went to see if he could get financial backing for the film. And he was told, well, puppets, you know, have never really been tried on the big screen, carrying an entire film. Why don't you do something with the Muppets so that, you know, you can sort of prove the concept? Which he did. The Muppet Movie. It's more entertainment than was ever humanly possible. After the Muppet Movie was an amazing success internationally and in America as well, he then went back and said, you know, fine, I've proven the concept. Now I'd like to make this fantasy film that I've been wanting to make for some time. And he was told, well, actually, what you proved was that Muppets work on the big screen, not necessarily puppets work. And so why don't you make a sequel to the Muppet movie? And Jim had a very smart and enterprising collaborator who said, why don't you go back and say, I'll do a sequel to the Muppet movie as long as I can secure financing for The Dark Crystal as well. And so there ended up being production going on Dark Crystal and The Great Muppet Caper pretty much concurrently. They use a lot of the same crew, a lot of the same puppet builders and fabricators. And so, yeah, Jim Henson ended up making both of those films pretty much at the same time, really out of a a deep-seated desire to see The Dark Crystal on the big screen. In a place outside time lies a mystical realm of sound and vision. A wondrous civilization. Where good and evil struggle to possess the Dark Crystal. In December 1982, The Dark Crystal was released into cinemas. The reaction to The Dark Crystal upon its release was really not particularly favorable overall. There were lots of critics that just could not divorce themselves from Jim Henson's work with the Muppets and his work on The Dark Crystal. And so, you know, if you go back and look at reviews from that time period, there are lots of people that say, you know, in their reviews, where's Kermit? Where's Piggy? Where are the musical numbers? Where are the celebrity guests? And it really did not do particularly well at the box office in its initial theatrical run. I always point out here, because it's it's interesting the way that, that history works and sort of cultural memory, it, Labyrinth, actually, I think, for a long period of time was sort of revered as, 
you know, the superior film out of out of the two. And it's interesting to note that Labyrinth actually did significantly worse at the box office than Dark Crystal did. In the early 1980s and mid-1980s, people really were not interested in seeing Jim Henson do anything besides Muppet characters and family-friendly, and I'm putting that in sort of quotation marks, family-friendly work. I, I would argue certainly that Labyrinth and Dark Crystal are very family-friendly. Excluding the nightmare-inducing Skeksis from the Dark Crystal and the Fieries from Labyrinth. It's just not where the audience expectation was at the time. Despite its initial slow start, the Dark Crystal made leaps and bounds in the cultural consciousness via VHS. Now on video. The rise of cable television and VHS and Betamax did not really exist or certainly weren't in the everyday person's home a decade earlier. So if you had a film that did poorly, it just died and sort of disappeared, whereas a film like The Dark Crystal had the ability to be replayed on television, and it was. It was a film that continued to build in popularity. The Dark Crystal. Now on video. Well, 37 years since its original release, Netflix now has a 10-part prequel series called The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. And amazingly, they did it all with puppets. This is the story of The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. You can listen along with me in your podcast. You know it's time to turn the page when you hear me say, I'm Liam Garrity. It's time to meet your maker. Meet your maker. In many ways, the making of the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance is not so different to the story of how the original film was made. For us, it starts with a teenager in Paris in the 80s. In France, it won the grand prize at the uh, Avorias Festival, and that's the fantasy fest- festival, you know, sci-fi and fantasy and horror festival. And I was obsessed with this festival when I was a kid, so I'm pretty sure I saw it at the movies. That's Louis Leterrier, the director of films like The Incredible Hulk, Now You See Me, Clash of the Titans, and now this TV series. But I have strong memories of VHS, actually a better Max than a VHS tape of the Dark Crystal with these, you know, the old plastic covers that you used to open. I saw this movie over and over and over and over again, but that was absolutely on VHS, on Betamax and on VHS afterwards. What did I tell you? Cultural consciousness after the fact. Jim Henson's uh, sneaky way to introduce horror movies to kids. I mean, it's it's like, hey, come see the next movie from the guy from the Muppet Show, and bah, <laughs> you know, early on, like I mean, the shot of the emperor dying and Chamberlain tries to seize the, the scepter and then he, 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 he screams. That's still to the day one of the scariest shots ever, one of the scariest um, jump scares that uh, have ever been created. So no, it's it's absolutely terrifying. And at the same time, you are scared, but it, it 
teaches you something. It's sort of a nightmare that wakes you up. You know, it's, you know, you wake up from a nightmare and then therefore you understand life better because your subconscious has taught you something. And that's in a sense what I think Jim Henson, Frank Oz and Brian Fred were up to. It was sort of like, let's push the envelope a little bit, but let's do it in a way that... Uh, teaches and makes for memorable scenes and and completely timeless and permanent memories and they still are I mean to the day uh, even before I started working on the show I could draw 10 15 25 shots from the movie they're so iconic that's what I fell in love with and everybody involved in the project fell in love with and that's what we decided to recreate and expand upon. Just as it took years for Jim Henson to get the Dark Crystal going, it took even longer to get this TV series made. In fact, the Henson Company announced that they were going to make a film sequel back in 2005, but after several false starts, that project was turned into a comic book series instead. And how would Louis describe the journey to making the TV series? It's called rejection, my friend. Rejection. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it it was, you know, it was it was a crazy gamble eight years ago, coming back, bringing bringing this this movie out of the vaults of the Jim Henson company, trying to do possibly a sequel, but as a feature film and approaching studios that by then were, you know, doing Avatar and Marvel movies and stuff like that. CG was the norm. CG is the norm still. Big, uh, explosive visual effects, fast-paced entertainment. And then you say, remember this movie that was very scary, 100% puppets, no actors, and quite slow? Well, we wanted to do the same again. <laughs> so studio was like, oh, uh, listen, we love, we love uh, Jim Henson and we don't want to do that. The exact same problem Henson had. But like Jim, Louis didn't give up. We kept going, we kept going. But then the deeper we were uh, digging, the more interested in the backstory we were in the in the in what happened before the movie uh, the original movie the dark crystal what led the civilization to be taken down what led the civilization to disappear from the the face of, of this planet and who are the skexies and why did they come and who is ogra and what's the deal what deal did she make with these devils, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. So I was I was very interested in I was much more interested in that ver- in in those ideas than what happened after the movie because a sequel is a, is as interesting as a sequel is. You sort of like expand on a universe that you know, but go doing a prequel and actually creating something that you don't know, leading to in a sense the Dark Crystal, the movie is. It's sort of the exclamation point at the end of a long, long, long sentence. And it was like, okay, we have the exclamation point. We have that last, that, you know, those last few words that say, and victory. Now, what's the beginning? What's the whole, uh, what's that sentence? But then the many sentences that lead you to the end of the thing. Using Henson's notes, the Henson Company commissioned a series of young adult novels set in the world of the Dark Crystal. A wonderful writer goes, called Joe Lee, J. J. M. Lee wrote, and then they sort of created the whole backdrop and the whole story and sort of like put in writing and, and almost chronologically the, the what happened to, to our Gelfling civilization and led them to 
to become extinct. So the, that was created for us. And then the more we were reading, the, uh, the, the more interested I was in it. And then that's when we decided to pivot from a sequel to a prequel. But there was so much material, there was no way we could go, oh, and then we can do it in two hours. So either we go and go back to our studio friends and say, hey, guys, uh, remember the one movie? Now it's four. We couldn't do that. <laughs> so we had, we had, we had only, we, we said it was the beginning of the, I mean, it was the rise of Netflix and then their need and the envy to do much bigger projects, much more bigger and different than, than anywhere else. So we realized that and decided that we would work really, 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 really hard to pitch it to only one place, really one place, because there's only one streamer, one, one studio, one, one creator uh, and financier that would be courageous enough, crazy enough to do that. And that was Netflix. So we, we did this whole presentation, I mean, almost like a year of work for free work to aim, you know, we felt like, I felt like Luke Skywalker, you know, at the end when he sort of like uses the force to, to, to shoot his, you know, his laser blast into the, the, into the Death Star. That was the thing. Sort of like concentrate, concentrate, use the force, Louis, use the force. And we did that and we pitched it to uh, Netflix and we, and then they said yes. We walked out, we walked out of this meeting and we looked at each other we were like, that's insane. We're doing it. We're doing it. And so there were a few steps before starting production. You know, obviously, you have to create your your entire cast. You have to do all that stuff. But that meeting, that prep, that preparation to get to this meeting and the, the result, the immediate result and their passion for the project gave us wings. heard a rumour that this was going to happen. Louise Gold was a puppeteer on the original Dark Crystal. I'm very used to, in this business, nothing happens till it happens. You know, there's rumours, oh, you'll be involved. Of course you'll be involved. You're in the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that before. So until you actually get there on the very first day, I went to, an, there was a meeting with Louis Terry, you know, I had to audition, go and audition, because Louis Leterrier, the director, didn't know any of us. Why should this old woman who was involved in the original, is she still able to walk, let alone work a puppet? She's very funny. She's very funny because she's, you know, she's obviously the the first girl, the old girl, and she, she you know, she, I just did, I, I just changed I just pushed them a little bit further than they'd been pushed before. And Louis was like, yeah. He's a nightmare. <laughs> I, you can tell him I said that. He's wonderful. You know, Louis is very, very different for Jim. But as someone to take the project on, he has the same passion as Jim and the same... He is... I wouldn't say he's tireless because I think it nearly killed him. But he's on the set filming the whole thing with a camera, you know, his energy, his commitment is extraordinary. He drove us absolutely mad because he had no, he sort of, in, in a good way, wanted us to be as humans are, but puppets aren't like humans. You can't shoot below, obviously, 
where they have no legs. Um, but he was trying to take it on to another level. But it was the same thing as Jim. You can't complain about being exhausted when this man is there carrying a camera, never stopping on, 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 on. And you're inside a Skeksis. And uh, he's, he was again, again, again. You know, he, we had to do take after 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 take. It was insane. And, and his, as I say, his energy, you know, he was incredible on it and an incredible leader of it and his vision. Um, he was absolutely the person who should have taken it on from Jim. But she was a trooper, I must say. I, I thought that that we just had her from time to time just because, you know, she's a star and she but she was there every day. She was the, the you know, she was helping everyone that, that that was actually, you know, she was fantastic. So hi, Louise. Throb. At its center. The crystal of truth. The source of all life. Skeksis have corrupted it. It was absolutely incredible. The detail, you know, I'm, I'm almost going to cry thinking about it because when I walk back onto the crystal chamber, it, the artistry that went into the original and has then been recreated and expanded in all these other sets is astonishing. Uh, and it's just the, the detail in every department. People who have done these costumes, the sets, it is exquisite. You know, part of the charm of the Dark Crystal is the fact that it is done with practical puppets. That's Damien Farrell, one of the show's core puppeteers. What Louis has done, I think, has really changed the art form. I mean, he, you know, he just loosened up the camera. You know, a lot of stuff was on Steadicam, which is kind of a puppeteer's nightmare because you just don't know where the, the camera's going to turn. And I think it just brings a whole load of kind of, you know, dynamic movement to, you know, to, to puppetry, which we haven't seen that much of. And I think then, you know, you add in the visual effects work and the, the ability to paint out puppets which, you know, Jim didn't have an awful lot of that back in the day. I mean, I remember on Labyrinth, he had some uh, optical stuff with the kind of fiery characters from Labyrinth, which they performed, I think, on a black screen, and then they kind of optically removed them. They were doing little things like that. Most of the time, Jim was finding kind of innovative ways of almost using magic stage illusions to hide the puppeteers. So things like, you know, there's, there's that famous shot of Kermit sitting on a stool. I mean, you can see completely under the stool, which is done with mirrors and things. And I mean, they were the kind of tools he had at the time. So the tools we have nowadays are, are kind of digital tools. So I think, and, and I think the other thing is it's very easy to kind of go, to get lost in digital tools and just keep throwing every digital tool at it. So you have to be quite selective about what you use. And I think if it's moving it away too far from puppetry, I think you're, you're kind of into, into a different realm with it, you know? And that's acceptable as well, but I just don't think that's, that's the essence of Dark Crystal. It- was a wonderful movie that found a certain audience but or its audience but not the most massive of audiences so it's not like a remember this movie that made you know gazillion dollars let's do it again no it was like it's a very very niche thing cult almost that people have been following for years and felt you know fell in love with it so but to, to do it again it was like you know it was just yeah it's absolutely daunting but 
I, it, came, it came from the right place. It came from passion. I was like, if I go down in flames, if it's the last thing I ever direct, but then I'll be happy because it will be like, okay, I, I, I sort of like, I went down in flames. I did, the, I did the best thing I ever did, the craziest thing I ever did. I did it the way I wanted to do it. I did it with the people I wanted to do it to do it with and I had such a blast doing it so I knew that was the one and I knew I was going to lean completely in forget about everything else not pitch on any other studio project but just <laughs> you know commit and my agents were like are you sure yes I'm sure I'm leaving for England for four years see you later guys you know and they were like <laughs> and that was it and, and it's um, that that daunting absolutely and every day was a daunting task really absolutely because you you every day you have to create like on any project you have to find you know create truth create entertainment create energy create but normally you have actors something relatable and you try to capture or fake it but you know make it real you know here we had nothing every morning we had a bunch of rubber dolls i mean you know wax dolls and you know not enough wax they are latex but like latex dolls and fabric and and a fan to create win and this and my camera and we were like okay today they fall in love today they laugh today they dance today they chase each other and today they die and it's it was always the same set of tools but the emotions were you know were, were very hard so it was daunting not only for me but it was daunting for all the puppeteers because none of them had done such a an immense range of emotion on such a huge palette on on uh, for such a long time I mean, holding holding these puppets up or being inside these puppets because the same core group of people twelve people that did the, all the skexies all the gelfling different gelfling different skexies change already so you're on your feet you're holding something up above your head or you're inside a very warm skexies acting inside a skexies one of the puppeteers neil sternberg who plays uh, rianne and plays the scroll keeper said that it's like acting in an in a dirty unmade bed which is very much this it's sort of like, <laughs> it's this it's sort of like you walk into this thing that that uh, you know smells terrible and you know they they used to wash them they used to spray them with like vodka sort of like orange or orange infused vodka or something like this so so you know because it's it, it's hot it's sweaty it's disgusting also it like it gets disgusting because you just you roll around you do all that stuff so anyway so all that stuff daunting for everyone but we all work together from you know me say me the top of the pyramid to all the puppeteers to the remote controllers that do the things to the people the special effects people blasting the wind to camera the focus pullers racking the focus at the right time because i'm like rehearsing but also i'm catching stuff catching happy accidents so i i pan left right down up you know i tilt up and down and find the stuff and they have to be really quick so everybody was like working at you know the hardest they ever worked for eight hours, sometimes much more uh, every day, ten hours every day, um, and then we uh, we sort of like we we got it done, and it was it was interesting because every shot was a small victory. So every shot, every time we got it right, again because 
we started with nothing and then eventually we got something that was, oh, it feels good. It feels like truth. It feels like we got that moment it was a small victory and, and sort of like brought you joy. So, so you had, you know, movie making is hard and this, this type of uh, filmmaking is actually much harder than anything else anybody's ever attempted to do before. But, but when you succeed and it's like the, the beauty of puppetry is that or, or that scale of puppetry is like when you get it right, you see it all together. You watch it. You, 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 everybody has monitors. Everybody sees that we got it and everybody reacts. It's not like a CG show where you shoot a plate, you shoot an element, and then possibly you get it right after months and months of work on a computer. But no one gets to experience that moment uh, instantaneously on set. Puppetry or at least Dark Crystal, uh, uh, with everything we tried to do, every time we got it right, it was like, yes, oh, did you see that? Oh, that was wonderful. Okay, we move on, next to the next shot, everything. But it was like, it got really hard, and it got joyous, hard, joyous. There was that, that constant up and down and up and down, you know, and it was it was great, it was great. It was, you know, to the point that, you know, I've done a few movies, I've done a few shows, the final shots, the final scene, Everybody was in tears, and it was not the most of the most emotional of scenes. But it, we we were so exhausted, and and we we'd been so tense and happy and involved for so many months, almost a year, working together so closely. Then we sort of like it. It it was like it was the end of a great, wonderful, hard experience, and with. But we all experienced it and all realized that we had something special in the can. And and then then I went and edited, but everybody left. And but the, the final day was was very emotional. You've gone to all the trouble of of making this and building all these puppets and building this world uh, not to get ahead of ourselves but will there be a season two <laughs> you know it, and, and Netflix they're very smart about this they, it, it's don't because they, they do such original uh, programs that it, it don't bet I think I think it's the it's tempting the the movie gods or the TV gods <laughs> when you announce. I've done that before, so <laughs> I was like, you know, on Clash of Titans or whatever. Now you see me, I was like, okay, now, uh, yeah, it's a it's a three movie arc, which which was true. All all of it was true, but then stuff happens, uh, schedule, movies work, don't work, and stuff like that, and then you don't get to do it, and. Uh, so so well, I, well I, I, I just want to be yeah what do you think what do you think Liam well no I was just <laughs> going to say as a fan I don't I don't want to jinx it so I'm not going to push you on that okay, yeah, don't jinx it no one jinxes yeah, yeah, that's, okay guys okay world let's make a pact everybody says okay thank you that was a great gift let's move on let's just like, you know watch the 10 episodes then you know move, <laughs> then move on to something else and then possibly possibly three, four weeks, five weeks from now, you'll get a wonderful news. But I'm not betting on anything. Really, I'm not betting on anything.
The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance is on Netflix now. And trust me, if you were a fan of the original, you are going to be so happy. Meteor Maker is produced and hosted by me, Liam Garrity. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Additional music in this episode was by Blue Dot Sessions. And if you enjoy the show and want to support it, we have a Patreon where you can do just that. It's patreon.com forward slash Okay, that's it. I'm off to drain the essence of some podlings. Mm-hmm.